Joining me in the studio for the first time together in three weeks, and it's great to have them back together, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. Welcome. Hey, Jim. Hello. Uh, nice to have you both here. I want to begin by asking you whether either of you uh, ever read Pravda. We just did a little bit on some stories in Pravda. Do you ever see check that out on the web at all? No, I can't say I've actually gone to that particular site. You should do that. Yeah? It's very interesting. Yeah, I'll check it out. Is it really the truth? Uh, well, no, it's not. It's oh, okay. definitely not the truth. It's, it, there's a misnomer at work okay. there. Uh, but it's uh, the language is quite remarkable. Some of the language, that by the time it works its way through the translators. Um, now, Russian, Russian is a very poetic and colorful language, I am told. I can't read Russian, but I'm told it's very poetic, very colorful, very descriptive. And you get a sense of how hard it must be to translate from that language into English when you read some of the things that they... Some of the things that we just did a little piece here about they're talking about President Putin and what he's going to do afterwards. So instead of talking about various people suggesting various things, they talk about the tailors in Moscow preparing costumes for his potential roles. And it's, it's, <laughs> okay. it's, it's, it's all very allegorical uh, and symbolic. Well, and, and, and I think there always was a lot of allegory yeah. and symbolism. And at the end, they they spring to a rousing defense of Joseph Stalin, which we thought was uh, I thought was quite interesting. I hadn't necessarily yeah, yeah. expected that. You never know what's in and what's out. You don't. You yeah. don't. Particularly that far away. Uh, welcome to both of you. What's in and what's out today? I want to ask you a little bit about. I want to ask you a little bit about the media today on a specific story. Yesterday, a number of newspapers carried stories about the young Canadian who was recently killed in Afghanistan, and the stories had headlines like, he was misled, uh, fed up, disgusted, he wanted out, etc., etc. Apparently, the young fellow was on his second tour. Uh, according to those stories, was disillusioned. According to those stories, had told people he was not properly trained for the mission, etc., etc. In today's papers, his father has spoken out and said, essentially, nonsense. He never complained about the training. He was well-trained, as Canadian reservists are. Um, he was no more disgruntled than any other soldier. I mean, it's, it's dirty, unpleasant work, and you're not happy about the heat. You're not happy about the dust and the sand. You're not happy about people shooting at you, but it is your profession. It's the job you chose, and, uh, and you make the most of it. And this is essentially what the father has said today. Now, I don't want to debate which of them is true and which of these positions this young fellow actually held, but I thought it was very interesting to see how the story was presented that in the first case it was the his girlfriend's father and a couple of acquaintances who said well this is what he you know he's basically Canada shouldn't be there and today they go and talk to his father now, I don't know what kind of relationship he had with his father but just because he's his father doesn't mean he necessarily insight into him but I thought it was interesting the way the story unfolded over two days like that and I'm wondering whether either of you have any thoughts or insights into that is it, does it, do you think there's any significance to that is it just another example of the media looking for you know whatever hot button will work today and we'll find another one tomorrow well partly yeah, I think it is and uh, you know certainly there's there has to be controversy to sell uh, to sell newspapers and the media and so on. The, the other thing that I'm struck by, though, and uh, this came up yesterday, I was adv advising somebody at uh, at a tribunal hearing, and uh, she said, "You know, the other side are lying about everything," and and I said to her, "But." Everybody always lies in court. Like that's every every case I've ever been involved in. You go in and you hear witnesses who seem like normal people testify on one side, and then people testify on the other side about the same incident and see it completely opposite uh, one from the other. I said, you know, that the role of the judge is deciding whose evidence he prefers. 
by definition, that means that he thinks that the other side is lying or wrong or whatever. Uh, so it makes sense to me that if you talk to different people who knew this fellow, they may have known a completely different person. They may have seen different sides of him. He may have told them different things. Uh, without without, without uh, suggesting people are overtly lying, they may just see it differently and see, you know, the side of him that I saw, my sense was that he wasn't happy. You know, my side, I seem to be bucking up. Uh, to some extent, that's human nature. And to some extent, I guess it's inevitable that the media play on it. But it also reminds me of something that once happened to me, and that was that uh, I recall once getting a call uh, in the Mike Harris days, and the media were looking for somebody to, to criticize him on on an issue. And I said, you know, as much as I disagree with just about everything he does on this particular issue, I think that he's right, that he's doing the right thing. Uh, and so they weren't about to quote me saying that. So they said, is there someone else there we can talk to? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the media wants somebody to criticize Afghanistan. So it's like, here's somebody who's willing to do it, so put him front and center. Seems to me that would have been a bigger story than a, than a criticism. <laughs> yeah, seriously, in, in your case, I mean, I, the, to me, as a news person, I think that would be a bigger story than Jeff Schlemmer doesn't like Mike Harris. Well, I know, and yet that's not what they wanted that day. They wanted to write a story where somebody said something, and I wasn't the guy who was going to say it, so next. <laughs> Bob, what do you think? Is this, is this uh, should the media have exercised a little more responsibility? Should they have talked to more people before they did the story at all? Jim, I probably have the most myopic view of the media of most people that I know because part of my habit is I don't read the newspaper on a daily basis. I read it in in segments where I've got a pile about three feet high right now and yep. I clip them all the time, right? Yep. And it's amazing what you will discover. Instead of viewing a newspaper or an event on a day-by-day basis to see a grouping of them and actually clip them going backwards or frontwards, and I came to the realization that there's very little news, like i.e. fact in the paper. Most of what you read, even in the headlines, front page, uh, is speculation. Uh, this might happen, that might happen, uh, you know. There might be a fact in there, but most of the, quote, controversy is about will A happen or will B happen? And nine times out of ten, neither does, you know. And, and so a rule I've made for myself is never, ever believe the first report you hear on any particular news story. I, and well, I, I never think that's do. a very sound rule, personally. Um, I think that's a very good rule. I, I just never do, and, and I will respond to it. If somebody gives me fact A and fact B, I'll give an opinion on it, but I won't say that those are the given facts. I'm, you know, I can make an opinion given two falsehoods, <laughs> you know, and but that wouldn't change my opinion if I found out later the facts were, were different. Well, this is a problem with with CNN type of news, and uh, I came home a week or two ago, and, wa- and my son was watching CNN, and he was watching the Israeli, um, whatever it is that they're doing in, uh, in Gaza, and... Uh, he said, you know, it's just wonderful theater because, uh, you know, you've got all these talking heads, you've got the beautiful uh, footage, you've got, uh, you know, the sort of, they'll show uh, flashbacks to, the, they love the night vision, the night sky, green sky stuff, there's yeah. nothing better than that. And it's just this beautiful theater going on. Um, but, you know, he's saying, well, this is, what do you mean? This is unfolding. This is what's happening right now. This is news. And it's like, yeah, we're not really learning much about what the, what the situation is over there by watching some troops running around and huffing and puffing. Yeah. Uh, and yet I think a lot of people think that is the closest you can get to reality and he said well I'm seeing the actual people I'm seeing the actual place uh, you know this is surely the, the, the most live news you can get it's not filtered at all uh, and yet the problem is you can see things and not understand a thing well, about uh, what you're no seeing because it's, it's, it's yeah. all perceptual not sure. conceptual yeah. And, you know, part of the problem is um, uh, John Stossel's book, I don't know if you, you've seen it, Myths, Lies, and Downright Stupidity, I think it's called. I haven't read it, like but that. I've seen it, yeah. Uh, I, my daughter gave it to me for uh, my birthday, and I read it, like, 
overnight. It was, it was an eye opener. Yeah, and it's it, it's brilliantly constructed. It has little boxes on each page, and it says myth, truth, myth, truth, myth, truth. And I'm telling you, it's like if after reading that book, you pick up the London Free Press, you don't want to look at the Free Press the same way anymore. Uh, matter of fact, the first three issues he picks on are pesticide bans, um, uh, you know, chemicals, and and uh, just the basic mythologies that people live with, especially about the environment and issues like that. So that's, you know, the problem with the media is that they are less interested in, quote, the truth or objective factual reporting, and that's even true in science, unfortunately. The, the papers are full of what has now become termed junk science, mm-hmm. you know. Um, then they are in what they like to call balance, and usually the balance is give two, quote, opposing points of view, even though both of them may be wrong, <laughs> you know, but as long as they sound different from each other, that's what we'll put on, and as long as there's a lot of vindictiveness and, and energy and, and passion, we'll put them on. But if there's some substance there, that almost doesn't get the attention of a newspaper. But on the other hand, you know, we sort of bring it on ourselves because we'd like to be entertained, and uh, it's hard to sit down and read an essay about a topic, you know, and just a kind of boring uh, text. You know, we're used to having pictures, we're used to having graphs, we're used to having vivid language, we're used to having, uh, again, live coverage, uh, video coverage, and so on. The the media sells us what we will buy. You know, if we weren't buying it, they wouldn't be selling it. And it's it's an interesting point, but you wonder how we know, how they know what we're buying and why we're buying it. They they do have the Nielsen ratings for sure, and they are much more scientific than radio ratings, television ratings are, because they actually put machines on your television to see what you're watching. But at the same time, there's no quantitative, very little quantitative research done as to as to what's happening when you have that channel, when you've tuned that channel, when you're watching that news program. What exactly are you absorbing from that? What are you getting from that? Are you, are you indeed getting what you want? And the argument is, well, if you weren't, you'd change the channel. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're trying to make sense out of what you see, even though there would be something much more useful to you that could be presented to you, and it's not being. So I'm, I'm always a little leery about the argument that you know, we're giving people what they want. Yeah, maybe. I think in an entertainment sense, it's pretty easy to see, because if you're going to watch American Idol, then obviously you like what's on there. If you, if you don't, if it doesn't touch you, then you're not going to watch it. But when you talk about news stories or news programs, because so many of them are so similar in the United States and Canada, although the political viewpoints may vary a little, but the, the way they do it is the same. You know, that's why, look at Jon Stewart's show. It's a, it's a fake news show, and there's more veracity on that show some nights than you get on the network news. Well, oh, sure. Uh, well, last night they had You mean the, that uh, stuff's fake? <laughs> <laughs> Last night, the Daily Show was showing excerpts from the uh, the North Korean version of the Daily Show. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed they, that. They told the government line a lot more closely. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to pause for just a second. We're not towing anybody's line here, but we're trying to straighten it out for you. And we'll be back in just a moment with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz on left, right, and center on the Jim Chapman News Hour. On these ons go on and on. Ninety four point nine CHRW. Summer Metz with us today, left, right, and center. The story in the Free Press, headline in the Free Press that uh, I saw this morning, and uh, it just it struck me as a little strange. This is really off the wall, but I'll share it with you anyway. The headline says, Another of Randy Einstein's lovers uncovered in newly unsealed letters. How many people out there saw that headline? Because our language changes, and the way we use words changes, and some words become archaic. How many people out there saw that headline and said, Who's Randy Einstein? Because <laughs> that's not a word that we use a whole lot anymore. You know, that's, when was the last time you saw it in a newspaper headline? Who's Randy Einstein? Yeah. 
Well, I remember reading um, uh, somewhere not that long ago that uh, back a hundred years ago, the, con- the the term making love referred to romancing someone. Oh, absolutely. It's different than what it is now. Oh, not even a hundred years ago, 50 years ago. Is that right? Eh? Yeah. All those songs from the 40s and 50s where they talk about making love, they're not talking about sex. They're talking about pitching woo. <laughs> to use another old phrase. I knew a guy here in Canada in the video business who when he got British orders for the spy who shagged me, the mm. people were embarrassed to say those words. Yeah. So, you know, like, yeah. so uh, over here you can say that anywhere, yeah. but over there, no, no, that's, yeah. that's a four-letter word. Absolutely, and there are some others which I will not share with you, but there are others that in other society, in other English-speaking societies are rather frowned upon, and we use them here. No, that word Randy is a bit on the British side, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. So, Randy Einstein. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you guys a little bit about uh, the city council race. I know this is not the kind of thing we normally touch on, but uh, there was a big map yesterday in the paper of who's running where and so on. And one of the interesting things about it, most of the incumbents, uh, in fact, I think almost, I'll say all, because I didn't double check, most of the uh, incumbents are running again in various wards. Um, some of the wards are quite loaded with candidates. Others don't have any incumbents at all in them because there's more, uh, well, there aren't more wards than incumbents, but not everybody's been taken up, and some people are, some incumbents are running against each other. Uh, is this going to make any difference at all at the end of this whole process? Uh, or do you expect to see these lists fill up a little more with more recognizable names? And I mean, no disrespect to the people who are running, but there are a number of names on here that that uh, that I know from what I do for a living, but I'll bet you a buck and a half the average guy in the street hasn't got a clue who they are, half the people on here. Uh, it's a good thing, bad thing, or does well, it make any difference at all? Definitely in the wards where uh, there's two incumbents running, you're going to lose one of those incumbents under uh, just a single representative system. And there are a lot of people who think maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe not, but that's already seems to be a choice that one of the incumbents has made. <laughs> well, and you have to you know? you wonder about that a little bit, too. And I haven't talked to any of the people who are, who are running. Um, in fact, really, there's only one ward where two of them are running, and that's Judy Bryant and... Uh, and uh, Sandy White in Ward 13. Um, uh, what's his name? Corrigan's running again in uh, Ward 9. He's a former counselor, was defeated last time. He's running against Susan Eagle, so he's you know almost an incumbent. But in a lot of the other wards, uh, Paul Van Mierkbergen, is uh, there's nobody running against him from council. In Ward 8, there's nobody from council. Ward 7, nobody from council yet. Ward 6, nobody from council. Ward 5, Joni Beckler. Ward 4, uh, nobody from council. Ward 3, Bernie McDonald. Ward 2, Bill Armstrong's running by himself so far. Uh, Roger Crancy, the only one in Ward 1. Nobody in 14. Winninger in 11. And two of them in 13. Uh, and uh, uh, Harold Usher, one of them in Ward 12. There's a lot of wards there with no representation, at least no incumbent representation. Well, I guess the question is whether... Um the objective that Imagine London had in the first place of kind of shaking things up will will end up actually shaking them at the end of the day, or whether it's just more of a shuffling than anything else. Uh, and and certainly, I would I hope that lots of people run uh, because uh, I think that that was the idea in the first place was to try and get new blood in and uh, yep. you know kind of uh, get away from from some of the parochialism and, and so on. So I hope that that happens. But it is a bit daunting for someone. Uh, you know, municipal council is is so much um, based on name recognition and kind of entrenchment. Uh, you know. You can't, uh, well, among other things, you, you know, you can't get charitable donations for people who donate money to you. So if you're the incumbent and you're somewhat known, uh, it's hard for someone else to topple them. And uh, having said that, there are lots of people who have name recognition for different reasons in the city and uh, and can get involved, and, and it's good when they do. Uh, but it'll be interesting five years from now to see whether this upcoming council, uh, you know, really does things any differently than the current one does, because most of the players will probably be the same people. And the fact that they're acting uh, for a, a ward that's half as 
big as the one before. I don't know that that's really going to change their views on the way things ought to be done. One of the things I find interesting as I look at this is, and again, I know many of these people that are average learner might not, but people talk about vested interests. They talk about uh, uh, power, you know, power groups and so on and so on. Most of the people who are running who are not incumbents fit very comfortably into various special interest groups around the city. I mean, I don't see a whole lot of people on here who are sort of stepping forward. And I mean, I don't mean to disparage anyone, but I just don't see the names here of the folks who are stepping forward as a, as a fresh, new political voice. I see a lot of representatives of, of, of political parties and previous movements that we've seen in the city. A lot of those people are running uh, Well, is together. there any other way to run? You can't run any other way. You can't be just an individual who steps out like Superman and says, "I'm here to save the day." That's but, the problem, isn't you know, it? Uh, well, but 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 uh, I guess I guess maybe it isn't the problem. But what I'm saying is, if you if people had hoped that by getting new voices down there, new people running, that you might get new new attitudes, you might get new viewpoints on civic politics. I don't see a whole lot of that here. Most of these people, I, you know a lot of them, Bob. Mm-hmm. I know them. Jeff knows a lot of them. And I'd say they all share the same viewpoints as the incumbents in general in general terms. Pretty much. And and the only place you're going to get new blood is in the ridings, in, in the wards rather, where there isn't an incumbent, and that's only going to happen once. After that, it's going to be status quo from there on in yeah. forever and ever more, just like it is, always is, because that's the nature of politics. Well, and there's a leveling yeah. effect of the voting as well, that, uh, you know, that if, the, if if the central mass remains the, the swing vote that it is right now, then it really doesn't matter if you get a few candidates who are who have different ideas. They, they're just outvoted anyway. But now, having said that, they may have things to say that may be that may be invigorating. Uh, so that may be a good thing. But uh, it, it imagine London again has had a lot of success with this, and uh, and uh, uh, well, I'm, I question how successful it is. I, I really do. I, I, I'm just talking about in court. Well, <laughs> I, I you know if you look at what the ultimate outcome might be, and as Bob said, my my concern, one of my concerns about it is that after this election, now you've got incumbents in every ward, and incumbents four are, years are tr- every four years, which oh, I think was a never just, get rid of them. Just a huge, just uh, the, the most bone. He's done a lot of boneheaded things, folks. But this is the most boneheaded thing McGinty could possibly have done. They should have gone the other way. They should have gone to two years, not four, because they're totally out of. They're totally beyond any kind of responsibility mm-hmm. to the people now. However, having said that, um, that's going to make it worse. But at least with two people in a ward, and you did see this happen from time to time, there'd be a clear front runner, and that person would get elected. But you did see situations where that second person got bounced. Not very often, but it did happen. Um, I, I don't know if you ever did, did. We ever lose two at one time? Not, not, not that, that I can I, remember. My no, nobody ever clean clean house in a whole ward. So I just think it's going to be more of the same. It's going to be worse than when they started. I think Imagine London has uh, imagined something. Uh, well, they've imagined an outcome they're not going to get. I think. But we'll see. It'll, it'll happen in a few months. The other thing that I that I think generally is that we've had an economy that's that's been booming for a long time. Uh, you know, everybody in London seems to be building a new house out in the burbs. Uh, I, I, as much as we complain about individual issues, I think that the average Londoner, the silent majority by and large, are pretty much okay with what's going on. I think you're probably right. I think the uh, there's we, there's a, a lot of grief in the newspaper every year at tax time when people complain about the taxes. But you know, the people most of the people I know pay the increase and press on. 
and come election time, they certainly are not holding council responsible or wouldn't see these same people getting elected. I think a lot of people look at it and say, well, this is just the cost of living here. And and uh, they may be chuckleheads down there, but they're probably doing as good a job as a bunch of chuckleheads can do. And uh, well, we're ever going to have is a bunch of chuckleheads, so let's get on with it. I really think that's the sense of a lot of people in the city yeah. and in, in most cities. Yes. And I think it's coming to a head. Um, if you've been following the series on the series about cities in the National Post, mm-hmm. uh, they're all coming down to the crunch. They're, they've got huge deficits. They're, they're running at huge high property taxes. They're trying to change the valuation and assessment constantly. And you shouldn't even be on a property tax basis. You have to fund cities different ways, you know. And so uh, I think that's where inherently the problem is. But people think they can't do anything about City Hall. Taxes is the only issue that affects every single voter and taxpayer. Yeah. And so it should be the number one issue. And yet but how, often but do you how can it how can it be an issue if somebody runs today and says I'm going to freeze taxes? Nobody believes them. Oh, sure they do. I, I ran. I, I ran. Think they do. I, I ran the London Taxpayers run. Coalition with uh, Jim Monte yeah. and us together with Halt. We froze taxes in this city, and the irony is people are blaming us for the bad service today because we held taxes back back then. That is so backward thinking. Um, but nevertheless, it is possible, and the taxes that are constantly increased aren't for essentials and necessary things. This city's gone into the entertainment business. That's most of what we, our money goes to. The bath center, convention centers. Well, I would say most of our money, well, but certainly some certainly of the part that hurts. But look at the look at the uh, look and at the president. You know, the provincial government invests what three million dollars in Lord of the Rings for heaven's sake. Sure, I mean that's what all civilizations do when they're in a collapse. Rome built coliseums. We're building our monuments, and that's literally the process. But you can't run for city council, though, saying that I'm going to freeze taxes because you're one vote. You know, I, exactly. I, believe, I believe Paul Van Mergen would, would love to do that, yeah. uh, but he's one vote. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, again, the, the system is designed to be this kind of amor- amorphous middle that broadly kind of moves along. And you can have people on, on one side or the other saying we should do this and we should do that. But, again, we don't have parties uh, uh, in municipal government. There's no platforms per se for, you know, if you vote for my party, you know, this is broadly what we're going to do. Here's our booklet. It's just a bunch of individuals saying, well, you know, here's what I think we ought to do, and I'll try and persuade the other other yeah. folks around the ring, but uh, yeah. realistically, there's very individual councillors. Aside from their from their personal uh, moral suasion, maybe their uh, their force of personality, really have very little power. Well, the I think the, one of the biggest problems too come come campaign day or campaign days is uh, what do you say in the 30 seconds you have? What do you say? Well, listen, I'll uh, I'm going to represent you. I'm going to do what you want. The assumption being that what that individual wants is what's good for everyone. Anybody tell me that never gets my vote. What else else do they say? What else do you say? I don't want somebody to tell me they're going to do what I want. I want to hear what they want to do and what they plan to do. And do I agree with it? Yes or no? If he just leaves it open and says, I'm going to do what you want, he must be telling that to my neighbor, too. And then you can't be telling both of us the truth, right? <laughs> so that makes him a liar. And it may be back to what Jeff said. He may not be telling anybody That's the truth. Right. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Jim. Good Thanks, to Jim. have you here. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with us on Left, Right, and Center, as they are most Wednesdays. Wednesdays, always a treat to have them drop by. Tomorrow, Thursday, Chris Seinel will be here, the former head of the uh, Students uh, uh, students Council, President of Students Council at the University of Western Ontario, and a welcome guest every Thursday. He'll be in to take a look at the issues of the world. With a younger set of eyes and perhaps a younger set of attitudes than mine. It's always fun. So let's do that tomorrow. I'll say 11 o'clock. How's that work for you? In the meantime, this is Jim Chapman saying, please take care of each other, mind how you go, and God bless. Bye-bye.